going. Hmm? It's already going? We're going. Yeah. Here it is. <laughs> hey everybody, this is Tyler, and you're listening to the Lenny and Tyler Show. <laughs> We're in Tyler's gallery. 2712. No, that's my show. What's your What's your address? <laughs> 2710. 2710. I actually don't know what your address <laughs> is. Yeah, 2712. Second Avenue North. Yeah. Drinking some iced, dry process Ethiopian Hirgeshef coffee. I don't, I don't have any. Yeah. I kind of didn't think ahead. Hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering if we should pause. But it sounds like, really fine. sounds like she has a customer right now. I don't like waiting pause. in line. We can pause after. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait for just a little yeah. bit. Okay, yeah. so... Um, oh. Okay. So anyways, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's dive right in with uh, the Jaxie Minute. I love that she recorded something even though she was a she part was of the, thing. That's the podcast. That's perfect. So here we go. Jaxie Minute. I wanted to say that the last episode was a lot of fun. I was really happy to be on it. We did a lot of nitpicking, which maybe is not the greatest. Maybe we shouldn't be like that. I will say it's hilarious that I heard so many people say it is what it is after we recorded that episode. And then I heard a lot of people say especially, which I want to specifically shout out is not how you say that word. Also, espresso is not the word. It's espresso and especially. The World Trade Center had seven buildings. Uh, I tried to go down the rabbit hole of 9-11, but it's a long ways down, and it's really hard to accurately fact check, I guess. So maybe I'll do a little more digging, but it probably is a conversation you want to have face-to-face with Lenny. Back to two episodes ago, the movie Buried with Ryan Reynolds is all filmed inside a box. There are no shots outside of it, and um, it's a pretty cool movie, so... That's pretty much it for this fact check. I do want to say, and I know I'm going over here real quick, but we need to be understanding of those around us. We need to care and believe the best about all the humans we encounter. We have to grow. We have to hold each other accountable to growth. And we have to lean into being uncomfortable and talking about uncomfortable topics. And through it all, we have to be humble. Nice. Wow. <laughs> going, out, going out strong on that one. She does not like the movie Buried, so I don't know why she oh. said it was a great movie. <laughs> oh, really? Maybe she found a newfound appreciation for it. <laughs> uh, was that? Do you think that that last part was directed at us or just a like just a no, just society in general right now? Yeah, okay. yeah. I think between yeah between Corona and the protests and everything, that yeah, treating everybody with kindness and humility is yeah more important than ever. But it's always important. So it's, Always the most important thing going on, people you're interacting with. I'll try to treat you with kindness. Oh, thanks. I'll try to treat you with respect. And truth, though. Ooh, yes, yes. The truth and love. One of the, yeah, right. The The truth truth and love. love. Uh, I told Lenny yesterday that I wanted to talk today about love, the difference between love and like. Um, And maybe, maybe we'll talk about that on a future episode. Because, because. <laughs> instead, I was uh, hanging out with Garth and another friend the last couple nights, and some other things came up that I thought, oh, I'll maybe just talk about this on the podcast. So um, I was thinking of what Kierkegaard calls the night of infinite. So this is the little bowl from Tyler. Time for some bullshit from Tyler. 
So Kierkegaard wrote about the night of infinite resignation and the night of infinite faith. And um, I don't know Kierkegaard super well, but I think what he's getting at is kind of like the night of infinite resignation is something that he can maybe understand and feels like as though he could be that, which I think would be kind of the equivalent of like living out a Stoic type philosophy or maybe living out even a Buddhist type uh, night philosophy. Night Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But the night of infinite faith, he kind of talks about as this really mysterious ideal. And so I was trying to find it just now. This is in Fear and Trembling. Uh, he says, Abraham, I cannot understand. In a certain sense, there is nothing I can learn from him but astonishment. Because I think he would say, he would kind of argue that Abraham is an example of the night of infinite faith. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then later he he says, I candidly admit that in my practice I have not found any reliable example of the night of faith, uh, though I would not therefore deny that every second man may be such an example. I've been trying, for, however, for several years to get on his track, and all in vain. People commonly travel around the world to see rivers and mountains, new stars, birds of rare plumage, queer deformed fishes, ridiculous breeds of men, they abandon themselves to the bestial stupor which gapes at existence, and they think that they've seen something. This does not interest me. But if I knew where such a, such a night of faith, I would make a pilgrimage uh, to him on foot, for this prodigy interests me absolutely. I would not let go of him for an instant. Every moment I would watch to see how he managed to make the movements. I would regard my... Uh, self is secured for life and would divide my time between looking at him and practicing his exercises myself and thus would spend all my time admiring him. Uh, so he kind of goes on to write a little bit about, he, then he, he says, uh, uh, so as was said, I have not uh, found any such person, but I could but I can well think of him, or I can well think him. Here he is, acquaintance made, I am introduced to him. The moment I set eyes on him, I instantly push him from me. I myself leap backwards. I clasp my hands and say half aloud, good Lord, is this the man? Is it really he? Why, he looks like a tax collector. However, it is the man after all. I draw closer to him, watching his least movements to see whether there might be might not be a visible, uh, might be visible a little heterogeneous fractional telegraphic message from the infinite, a glance, a look, a gesture, a note of sadness, a smile, which betrayed the infinite in its heterogeneity with the finite. So I think here he's kind of arguing, or he's sort of saying like, there in the night of infinite faith, there cannot be any uh, small, hint or glint of the infinite of sort of like god because mm, then it wouldn't be gives faith it anymore it would be yeah and maybe it's like it would be like practical instead of just faith based i don't know if it has to do with like the doctrine of or that like as christians were supposed to believe that christ was fully man and fully human Sure. Or, 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 sorry, fully human and fully God. Mm -hmm. 
So this paradox. Yeah, where that, the, this knight of infinite faith would have to be just human. Yeah. No special divine power. Right. Or no yeah. Infinite power. Yeah, that's yeah. like making him capable of that. Yeah. He said, no, he is solid through and through. His tread, it is vigorous, belonging entirely to finiteness. No smartly dressed townsman who walks out to Friesburg on a Sunday afternoon treads the ground more firmly. He belongs entirely to the world. Uh, no Philistine more so. One can discover nothing of that aloof and superior nature whereby one recognizes the knight of the infinite. Uh, and he talks about how he takes delight in everything, and whenever one sees him uh, taking part in a particular pleasure, he does it with the persistence which is marked, which is the mark of the earthly man whose soul is absorbed in such things. He tends to his work. So when one looks at him, one might suppose that he was a clerk who had lost his soul in an intricate system of bookkeeping. So, uh, so precise is he. He takes holiday on Sunday. Uh, he talks about how, like, how if you were to like see him walking home, he would be thinking about the dish that his wife has prepared for him and would be content with just the thought of this dinner that's awaiting him and he lives as carefree as an as a ne'er-do-well and yet he buys up the acceptable time at the dearest price for he does not do the least thing except by virtue of the absurd <laughs> which is uh virtue of the absurd there's a little footnote it says uh so that would mean that which runs counter to human experience and human human understanding in general so it's almost like, I wonder if it's kind of the same idea that I think Nietzsche is getting at with the idea of being beyond good and evil, beyond human ethical uh, standards yeah, yeah, or boundaries. human yeah, yeah. morality. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So let's okay. end that there. Then I want to, the reason that I thought of that was Perfect. because... Yeah. I think that there is kind of a nice example that of the Knight of Infinite Faith. Oh? That's not a real person. Yeah. But this is a poem that I've loved for a long time. And have I used to have about half of it memorized. But I'm just going to read the whole thing real quick to you. It is just an interesting mental exercise to go through the person... Like the idealized person that you think could exist and just go through like all the little details of what their life would be like. Yeah. And even just that as like an exercise I think is kind of interesting. Like to see what, it's almost like a mirror back to you of like what you value as like what you would imagine this quote unquote like perfect person or like most, most faithful person, you know? Yeah. To, to see how you, how you shape them is probably very telling about you as well. Right, yeah. I know, yeah, yeah, I was thinking that, like, this is Kierkegaard's ideal. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this, then, I guess, would be maybe um, Tolkien's conception okay. of this ideal knight of infinite faith. And he is, I believe, the oldest of all the characters. Mm. And we'll talk about that more at the end of Tolkien's characters, so... This is Old Tom Bombadil. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, old Tom Bombadil was a merry fellow, 
Bright blue his jacket was, and his boots were yellow. Green were his girdle, and his breeches all a leather. He wore in his tall hat a swan-wing feather. He lived up under hill, where the withy window ran from grassy well down into the dingle. Old Tom in summertime walked upon the meadows, gathering buttercups, running after shadows, tickling bumblebees that buzzed among the flowers. He sat by the waterside for hours upon hours. There his beard dangled long down in the water. Up came Goldberry, the river woman's daughter, pulled Tom's hanging hair. In he went a-wallowing under water lilies, a-bubbling and a-swallowing. Hey, Tom Bombadil, whither are you going? said fair Goldberry. Bubbles you are blowing. Frightening the finny fish and the brown water rat, startling the dab chicks and drowning your feather hat. You give it back again, there's a pretty maiden, said Tom Bombadil. I do not care for wading. Go down, sleep again, where the pools are shady, far below willow roots, little water lady. Back to her mother's house in the deepest hollow swam young Goldberry, but Tommy would not follow. On knotted willow roots he sat in sunny weather, drying his yellow boots and his draggled feather. Up woke Willow Man, began upon his singing, sang Tom fast asleep under branches swinging. In a crack caught him tight, snick, it closed together, trapped Tom Bombadil, coat and hat and feather. Ah, oh, Tom Bombadil, what be you thinking, peeping inside my tree, watching me drinking, deep in my wooden house, tickling me with feather, dripping wet down me face like the rainy weather. You let me out again, old man Willow. I'm stiff lying here, there no sort of pillow, your hard, crooked roots. Drink your river water, and go back to sleep again like the river daughter. Willow man let him loose when he heard him speaking, locked fast his wooden house, a muttering and a creaking, whispering inside the tree. Out from Willow Dingle, Tom went up the, went walking on the withy ding, on the withy window. Under the forest eaves he sat a while listening. On the boughs piping birds went chirping and whistling. Butterflies went about his head, went quivering and a-winking, until gray clouds came up. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> until gray clouds came up as the sun was sinking. Then Tom hurried on. Rain began to shiver. Round rings spattered on the running river. A wind blew, shaken leaves, chilly drops were dripping. Into a sheltering hole old Tom went skipping. Out came Badgerbrock, with his snowy forehead and his dark, blinking eyes. In the hill he quarried with his wife and many sons. By the coat they cut him, pulled him inside their earth, down their tunnels brought him. Inside their secret house there they sat a-mumbling, Oh, Tom Bombadil, where have you come tumbling? Bursting in the front door, Badgerfolk have caught you. You'll never find it out the way we've brought you. Now, old Badger Brock, do you hear me talking? You show me out at once, I must be a-walking. Show me to your back door under briar roses. Then clean your grimy paws, wipe your earthy noses. Go back to sleep again on your straw pillow, like fair Goldberry and old man Willow. Then all the Badger folks said, we beg your pardon. They showed Tom out at once through their thorny garden. Went back to hit and hid themselves, a shivering and a shaking, blocked up all their doors, earth together raking. Rain had passed, the sky was clear, and in the summer gloaming, old Tom Bombadil laughed as he came a-homing. Unlocked his door again and opened up a shutter. In the kitchen round the lamp, moths began to flutter. Tom through the window saw waking stars come winking, and the new slender moon early westward sinking. 
Dark came under hill. Tommy lit a candle. Upstairs creaking went, turned the door handle. Oh, Tom Bombadil, look what night has brought you. I'm behind the door, now at last I've caught you. You'd forgotten Barrow White dwelling in old mound up on hilltop with the rings of stone round. He's got loose again. Under earth he'll take you. Poor Tom Bombadil, pale and cold he'll make you. Go out! Shut the door! Never come back after! Take your gleaming eyes, take your hollow laughter! Go back to grassy mound on your stony pillow! Lay down your bony head like old man Willow! Like young Goldberry and badger folk in burrow! Go back to buried gold and forgotten sorrow! Out fled Barrowite, through the window leaping, through the yard over wall like a shadow sweeping, uphill welling went Wailing went back to leaning stone rings, back under lonely mound, rattling his bone rings. Old Tom Bombadil lay upon his pillow, sweeter than goldberry, quieter than the willow. Snugger than badger folk or barrow dwellers, slept like a humming top, snored like a bellows. He woke up, he, he woke in morning light, whistling like a starling, saying, Come, dairy doll, merry doll, my darling. He clapped on his battered hat, boots, and coat and feather. Open the window wide to the sunny weather. Wise old Bombadil, he was a wary fellow. Bright blue his jacket was and his boots were yellow. None ever caught old Tom in upland or in dingle, walking in the forest paths or by the withy window, or out on the lily pools in boat upon the water. But one day, Tom, he caught the river woman, he caught the river daughter, in green gown flowing hair sitting in the rushes, singing old water songs to birds upon the bushes. He caught her, held her fast, water, water rats went scuttering, reeds hissed, herons cried, and her heart was a-fluttering. Said Tom Bombadil, here's my pretty maiden, you shall come home with me, the table is all laden. Yellow cream, honeycomb, white bread and butter, roses at the window sill and peeping round the shutter. You shall come under hill, never mind your mother, in her deep weedy pool, there you'll find no lover. Old Tom Bombadil had a merry wedding, crowned all with buttercups, hat and feather shedding. His bride with forget-me-nots and flag lilies for garland was robed all in silver green. He sang like a starling, hummed like a honeybee, lilted it to the fiddle, clasping his river maiden round her slender middle. Lamps gleamed within his house and white was the bedding. In the bright moon, in the bright honeymoon, badger folk came treading, danced down under hill, and old man will tapped, tapped at window pane as they slept on the pillow. On the bank, the reeds, on the bank in the reeds, river woman sighing, heard barrow white in his mound crying. Old Tom Bombadil heeded not the voices, taps, knocks, dancing feet, all the nightly noises, slept till sun arose, then sang like a starling, Hey, come, daddy doll, merry doll, my darling, sitting on the doorstep, chip-chopping sticks of willow, while fair Goldberry combed her tresses yellow. Wow, great work. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be my example of the Knight of Infinite Faith, who's kind yes. of beyond good and evil in a sense mm. maybe because he just sort of he's he's just this guy he just exists exists and, does he is fully immersed in his life yeah kind of 
it sort of marches to his own drumbeat. Um, and when things come into his life that would kind of awry. yeah kind of set it awry send him off his path he just rebukes them <laughs> yeah, and, kind of, and then just moves on <laughs> moves on and he kind of you know there's kind of this weird part where he just goes and takes the river maiden <laughs> to be his wife whether she wants it or not <laughs> so it's kind of this like oh yeah this guy like by our ethical standards it's like that doesn't today that's not really something that most people would get behind especially most girls you think yeah do you, you think it seems like it wasn't like consensual <laughs> I, I didn't pick that up at all you know oh yeah um well i so don't she know was I, trying to, like we don't get that yeah yeah we so don't. she was like trying to like bring him down sure. like into her world previously yeah you know and then he almost like takes her into his world or whatever yeah. you know which i thought was interesting yeah um and if you guys watched the movies tom bombadil was not in the he is not movies but but as we said before reading that sorry that's a pretty long poem that was great um i've always wanted i don't think i've ever shared it on a podcast before but i've always wanted to eventually do that but so tom bombadil i'm pretty sure was written as a character that tolkien would have created and read and like would have it would have been like nighttime stories for his kids Mm -hmm. and so my theory is that he put tom bombadil into the fellowship of the rings of the ring uh kind of as a homage to his kids and because because later when they're at the council of elrond trying to figure out what to do with the ring uh elrond says to uh gandalf like why don't we give it to To tom Tom. he's the oldest uh, among us and and gandalf is like yeah he's he kind of almost says like he's beyond good and evil like he, mm-hmm. this isn't really part of his like world or like yeah, yeah not really his problem the, or yeah. his yeah and, his realm and when they when when the hobbits come through the forest that tom is the lord of mm-hmm. uh he knows their names before yeah they yeah ever, like everything is already yeah yeah and Just, he saves them from old man willow and from mm-hmm. barrel white okay yeah um so those characters kind of re, yeah you know, show make up a, again a recurrence mm-hmm. and then uh, but the best part in fellowship and maybe the whole book is he he has them inside their cottage and he's given them a safe place to rest for a couple nights and Tom says to Frodo Frodo let me see that ring that's hanging around your neck and Frodo of course hadn't shown him that he had this ring it was concealed the whole time and so how would tom know that i mean how would tom know their names also but then so then he frodo willingly and without hesitation like grabs the ring and hands it over to tom which that's the only time that ever happens yeah everything else is like so tentative and like yeah careful and fearful Yeah, yeah yeah And Tom takes the takes the ring, and it's so beautiful how Tolkien writes of this scene, like how the the ring was at one point, or what like was this huge, large ring in Frodo's mm-hmm. hand mm-hmm. is just like this tiny, kind of insignificant object in Tom's, and he takes the ring and he kind of looks at it and he like kind of flips it around in his hand and then he puts his finger through it and it does nothing to him; he's unaffected by it. Yeah. So and then he hands, hands it, back it back to Frodo. 
you know, without any problem. Just like a, just like we pick up like a little puzzle or like a little curious trinket and kind yeah. of like flip it around and then like yeah. set it back off. Yeah, and just it's like just it's like the entire crux of the whole storyline. Yeah, and to him, it's like kind of just like oh, this is this is cute. This yeah. is an interesting <laughs> little thing. Yeah, and that's uh, it's just like a really nice. <clears throat> it's as you're reading the rest of the book, yeah. things get so yeah. so dark. It's just like a little hopeful like yeah. gleam that's yeah, still yeah that part. Yeah. So. I have a terrible confession to make, which was I was reading all the books before the movies came out, uh-huh. and then I had like a few chapters left in the last book, and then the movie came out, and I went and watched the movie, and I never came back to it. Oh, really? <laughs> so like the last few chapters of the last book I haven't read, but I've like read the oh. rest of it. Well, probably rectify that at some point. Suck. Saruman dies a different way. Oh, that's about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of, the way that he handles Saruman at the end. Yeah. Well, I was kind of upset different. about the second movie because they had like they made it like halfway through the second book, and then it was the second movie was over, and I'm like, oh wait, you guys have to do like the whole second half of the second book and the whole third book in the last movie. I just remember like, thinking, oh really? But the first movie I was kind of blown away with because I felt like so much. And less so of the other two, but the first movie, just sitting and watching it, I was like, I feel like this is exactly what my brain has pictured for so yeah. many of those scenes. And this because Tolkien's such a good author yeah. of like descriptor of all these things, but I was just blown away. I was like, I don't think that would probably ever be another book movie adaptation where I like I'm where they nailed Yeah, it. where they nail the pictures that like your own brain has put together for you. Yeah, they did a really good job with that. <laughs> was it you? And I that we're talking about the difference between watching things and reading things. Mm-hmm. Because reading, you are creating a world from your internal. Like if, you, like, if there's a tree, you picture a tree some way that you've experienced it, kind of. Where watching media, they decide what the tree looks like and show it to you. So one of them is creating a world from like internal to you. Even if the story is exactly the same, you're creating the world from stuff that's inside you for the reading and... Uh, more modern media like visual media is creating a world for you to then look at like they've yeah. already done that yeah uh, so that was interesting I had heard that recently yeah um, there was yeah creating from inside of you versus observing something else that was created for you I don't know right. it was yeah. interesting yeah I just heard a, something about how uh, Socrates was considered the ugliest man in all of Greece oh yeah but when he spoke this other philosopher wrote about how but when he spoke he became beautiful oh, and like sure. other men like fell in love with Socrates <laughs> like, Just like so romantically yeah. and so there is this disconnect between appearance and mm-hmm. uh, essence maybe I guess sure yeah is the... I, th- I mean I think that's a my theme through Lord of the Rings as well oh, the yeah. difference between what things look like and what things are you know mm-hmm. I mean, part of it just being like the hobbits being like the most humble of creatures, yeah. but they're like we're so all they're, they, yeah, their essence was super important. Hobbit <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or even like Tom Bombadil, like how his life is so meaningless in one way, but somehow he's still like this like insanely powerful character. Yeah, yeah. that's like unaffected by the world around him. You know, and right. the changes that have come to it. Yeah. Yep. So his appearance and his essence are kind of juxtaposed almost. Right, yeah. yeah. Would that be a story that you would ever like read to your kids as... Oh yeah, I, I think so, yeah. I feel like it's a, 
it's a good one to help kids understand and for myself too to like remember you have a lot of power within you to rebuke this like you will have problems that that try to kind of throw you off your capture you or whatever Yeah, yeah yeah but you have so much power to rebuke them and and yeah and so much of the battle is just remembering to realize that you know yeah the things we're trapped in that we just kind of are unaware of because they become so normal mm-hmm. but if you really want to actualize your power you could be rid of it you know yeah in moments you know if you had the the wherewithal to realize it and do something about it yeah yeah garth was kind of after i read that to him last night he was sort of talking about how sometimes you see parents who you know their kids start to act up in some way and if they're like right on it and they just like rebuke the kid right then and there you know it's kind of like like how tom rebukes old man willow like hey oh nope don't do it (laughs) get back in line here and it's and yet they all show up at the wedding at the end sure yeah so he 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 kind of loves them he doesn't like what would it be well yeah there's a difference between like testing boundaries and like appreciating that someone upholds that boundary you know there's a little bit of like I don't I don't necessarily like disrespect but there's a little bit of like oh this isn't really what you're you're not everything that you're saying it is if you can kind of like push the boundary and get away with it uh-huh. and kind of like skirt around the edge of it or like or just blatantly disregard it there's something we kind of like about having that pushback and then we know that that's like a firmer wall you know that's like right. that's like a, that is a boundary that's going to hold up um, which I think yeah I don't know I don't know for some reason like gives this like some sense of security of yeah. like a thing um yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it's kind of jarring to, at least to me, and I think it is to other people. You know, where you see somebody, you know, like just like maybe like, like, blatantly like super disrespecting their grandparent out in public or something. You know, yeah. Where they're just like chastising their grandparent. And you're just kind of like, wait, hold on, what's yeah? What? How many things have had to like kind of keep spiraling in this relationship dynamic to get to the point where, yeah, you know, like. I, so, you know, someone is like treating their grandparent like that in public as well. You know, something like that. There's, there's just little boundaries that have been yep. skewed or crossed or blurred. You know, to the point where I don't know. There's yeah. Not that respect. There's not. There's not that level of respect that and that love that there's like you still show up for that person like said, like at their wedding or at their thing. That rebuke is like well taken and you appreciate that rebuke rather than saying like, oh, this person hates me and they're right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that it's like, oh no, this person actually like wants yeah, regulation with yeah, me. loves and respects me, and, and that's why the they best need to for me, and, and yeah, so that's probably like if you uh, exercise your authority in your kids' life, and mm-hmm. and you have to punish them in some way. They probably right, they come to you a few minutes, like they might cry, go off crying, but then a few minutes later they probably come back. And want to like sit on your lap or well yeah and i think that's a super important part about discipline is that like discipline's not about like you versus them ever it's like you two dealing with whatever the other thing is like let's say it's like lying or whatever it's you two looking at lying and saying is this something that we 
want to do? Is this a, a lifestyle we want to live in where we lie to each other or we tell each other things that aren't true? Yeah. And so in one way, yeah, it's chastising them for like partnering with that or doing that. But in another way, it's, it's you coming alongside them and saying like, Hey, that's not what we're like. That's not what we do. Right. And you are, you're joining them on the other, on another side. Yeah. And that's the important part of any discipline. I think is that it's not just like you versus the other person. That's just very contentious. Yeah. Not productive. You know, then it, then it's like zero sum game or whatever, you know, like one person has to win. The other person has to lose. Right. And come alongside somebody and be like, Hey, there's like a third thing. That's not either of us. That's, that's the thing we're dealing with, you know, right. We're your friends. We love each other. How do we want to go forward from here? I, I think I heard it also like talked about as like the difference between calling somebody out and calling somebody up. Mm, sure. One, one oh, is yeah, sort yeah. of like I will from my place of superiority totally call this out in you so that I can maintain my higher status than you. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other is like trying to help bring them up to totally. your level yeah and in that there's a a, lo- a heart of love behind right. it versus a heart of really i guess that heart would be insecurity yeah yeah pride or insecurity in your own stuff or yeah yeah, yeah. um calling out calling out yeah sorry i lost it <laughs> anyways again. that's that's kind of Maybe if we want to move on from Night Tom of, Bombadil, the Night Tom. of Infinite Faith. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I got oh, about sorry the humility through. the humility part. That's sort of this. I oh. think the other thing is too because then sometimes you do call someone out and then you realize that you were mistaken and having the humility to apologize for that also reinforces that relationship because if you don't ever take especially when you're correcting somebody if you were in the wrong <laughs> if you don't ever you know take the step to apologize for that then that again is like leaving you at odds against each other rather than saying like oh hey we're both here helping each other out to improve our lives and each other and yeah <clears throat> and I think that's another important like child parent thing too is being being okay with being wrong and coming and asking for forgiveness because they're just going to model that back when they're wrong they're going to ask for forgiveness because that's what they saw you do and so like you just have to really really do the things in your own life that you want to see emulated by your children. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got a culture corner topic oh, yeah. for us? Well, something else I can't believe I've taken this many episodes to deal with is uh, podcasts should all be listened to at double no. speed. No. <laughs> 2x for life. Okay. Maybe not the poem. Maybe we should go back to one or one and a half for Tyler's poem and then listen to it on that because 2x might be too too fast. But um, yeah. basically, defend yourself. all my other podcasts I listen to at double speed because it's twice the information or the same amount of information half the time. You can just hear so much more. Do you feel like... Twice the life. <laughs> what... Do you retain that information? Does it? Do that is a good question. I but have, I have noticed a couple of podcasts that have gone back to find a clip or show somebody else. I will catch some like turns of phrase or some like, some little like kind of like, maybe not the overarching idea I had a really good grasp of, but there are some little like, casual conversational pieces back and forth. I'm like, oh okay, I didn't catch that when I listened to it yeah. so fast. So I'm sure there's a little bit I miss out on, but 
for the most part, at least the podcasts I listen to, I feel very content having heard them twice the speed. And I think okay. as you get used to a yeah. particular speaker as well, you can kind of you get used to what their voice sounds double. But it does kind of ruin it for regular speed because then you're like, oh, why are they talking so slow? And you also think everybody's wittier than they are because all the responses are like so snappy, like boom, bam, ba doom, bam. And then there's like long pauses when you listen to it at regular speed. <laughs> you're like, oh, wait, these are just regular people. <laughs> I've been trying to read more for comprehension, which is really hard mm. for me. And so I don't really read that much anymore. Like, yeah. It, uh, and I'm kind of content to be stuck on, like, I think in my lifetime, I'll probably only ever really feel as though I know a couple different thinkers. Oh, sure, sure. Like, like philosophy wise. Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, but I'm kind of content with mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, even if it's, even if it's just one new person every five years, yeah. you still got, you still got a few more people you can tuck yeah. under your belt. <laughs> and that's, yeah, I don't know. That's, I, I don't read much philosophy, so I can't really speak to that, but I do like talking about it and I appreciate other people reading it and bringing those <laughs> ideas to me. <laughs> I feel like the podcast sphere did a big stoicism thing a couple years back oh right like everybody was like talking about like stoicism that was you know that was fun to hear yeah multiple people come in like run into that idea yeah and talk about it and apply it to their lives in different ways i wonder if the next thing might be kind of uh a look back on uh like romanticism Mm -hmm. when we yeah when we take a lot of the emotional pull out of things and then it's just, yeah just that pendulum swing yeah of once the world is looking one way it's like oh i missed this on the other side and yeah it kind of swings back and yeah yeah because yeah, i feel like the night of infinite faith is kind of a romantic oh yeah thing. yeah and it's not a... i mean chesterton in talking about christianity he's like no it's it's the most romantic like faith of all oh yeah um i mean he talks about how like Christianity is the only creed that that accounted to God the virtue of courage. Because hmm. he says he says that a good man could have his back against the wall is something that we see all the time, where a good man has the injustice come to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, shoot, we just saw that with oh yeah, with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he says, but that, but that God could have his back to the wall is something like that no other creed has ever quite created. That he could go through um, the agony of doubt, and mm. because he says. For, for courage to be true courage, you they, there has yeah, to be the possibility yeah. that things might not go the sure, way. Sure, <laughs> yeah. You can't just fall back on your divinity to yeah. fix the situation. Yeah. 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 So when Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane says, Father, if there's any other way that this could... Yeah, yeah, like back against the wall, yeah. yeah. And th- but then and he says, still a choice but not, to move forward. But then he says, but not my will, but <clears throat> right. your will be done. Right. And then... Yeah. And that, I mean, then that's, that's back to like that faith or that trust you know 
it's not it's not basing it out of like knowing something is going to be correct but I like, I like what we said that he's, there's nothing to learn from Abraham because Abraham's the like go sacrifice your son okay and then it's like okay just kidding stop don't do that you know kind of like there's like no good rational follow up for like Abraham obeying that command other than he just trusted and that's why he's like the icon of like faith for like all the major religions you know or like the the big three like Judaism and Islam and Christianity all have Abraham's like this like founding father character yeah from what I've heard of that it's like the faith of Abraham is this faith that two things will happen that can't that would be impossible mm. that one he's going to kill Isaac and Isaac will not die mm-hmm. yeah that somehow which you could I guess maybe like a maybe start to justify if you with the relation with the relational idea like if you knew someone like if you were like hey Lenny go do this thing and I'm like that sounds totally messed up but I trust Tyler so I'm yeah. guessing there's some other plan or there's something you know if you're like oh hey like just drive off this bridge up here you know I'm like I don't think Tyler wants to kill us both yeah so maybe there's something else I'm not I'm just not seeing right now right I'm just like driving off the edge of the bridge and like trusting that you weren't just trying to kill us both <laughs> you know something like that right because he because he also is holding on to the belief that god will keep his promise that there right, will, yeah, be, yeah, there will a be a lineage a, through from him Isaac, yeah yeah right? totally yeah i always thought and i don't know that this is totally wrong but i always thought that it was like it had to do like the absurd faith is this what he calls, what Kierkegaard calls the teleological suspension of the ethical, which teleology means, uh, or it's like the study of end, of how things end. Mm. Telos means end. And then, so basically when he says the teleological suspension of the ethical, it means, I think it kind of means that the end justifies the, the means mm. or the or no maybe not that that the end suspends human under, uh, human understanding of right ethics, and wrong. ethics at that point yeah so by eth- the mm. ethical at the end of that is hu- mankind's understanding of what is right and wrong and, yeah yeah so if you are a knight of infinite faith, you're like for Abraham to go ahead and kill his son Isaac would mean that he would never be able to justify that to any other man. Right. Yeah. In the it same seems way, like completely immoral. It seems completely wrong. Right. Yeah. By human standards, mm-hmm. it's completely wrong. It just is, and people do that these days, like and say, or they do horrible things and say, "Well, God told me to." Right. And we don't believe them. Right. Yeah. Right. So. Right. It is a very strange. Uh, but somehow we like you're like oh because it didn't happen we think he's awesome but if it did happen he would be terrible (laughs) even though he was going to do it anyway (laughs) Uh. but that even I think that and then it harkens back all the way to is the knowledge of good and evil that's like the thing that we wanted to have that we don't have you know like it's like the humans see this thing that it's like oh it's this the knowledge of good and evil is this like one thing you're not allowed to have and we're like, uh, we're going to take that and try to consume it and 
if like in one way it did like it ruins us because then we we think we are the ultimate morality or the ultimate you know our understanding of right and wrong is always correct and i think we're still incapable of it for you know (laughs) i think we're just still incapable of doing that and that plays out in like judging other people and that plays out in doing the things we think look good or look right that may not be or doing the thing not doing the things we think look wrong that may may have been the correct path forward and and i guess that's where it just comes back to like faith and reason not necessarily being opposing ideas but just having to live together somehow you know you know co co inhabiting us we kind of we're wondering about talking about this but like the the riots going on um and the you know like the idea of like putting off punishing police officers for violence done especially against like african-american communities putting off doing any punishment had just kept like stacking and stacking oh. and stacking and stacking until we're like until people are just like how how long will this go on for and i feel like then the response seems more and more justified the longer you put off you know like doing the correct thing which would be like holding people accountable for their actions then the, the counter response to that gets escalated as well and then you're in this crappy boat where yeah not all police officers are bad but some of them have been unjustly protected and then not all these like rioters and protesters and there's definitely peaceful protesters as well not all of them are wrong but so then like the right and wrong and like our ethics and morality is like both sides have ethics and morality that they're playing against each other and both of them have correct and incorrect motivations as well in those ethics and so it's just i think that's what makes it so messy and hard for people from one way of life to understand the other side mm-hmm. you know fully is because one there's their experiences haven't lined up with that and morality both sides have moral claims and both sides have immoral actions stacked on top of that you know yeah. and so yeah okay we're at 48 so i think let's wrap this one up sounds great any last words just thanks for uh joining our coffee conversations and uh, (laughs) we are at lennyandtyler at gmail.com and patreon.com slash lennyandtyler if you want to reach out to us either of those ways we'll be here next Monday recording an episode so if you feel like stopping in and saying hey you should do it usually Monday around noon yeah Yeah. Yeah. alright thanks everybody for listening be good to yourselves (laughs) 